Industry Pods and Evergreen Podcast Network are pleased to present the following podcast. Okay, yeah, okay, well, uh, yeah, thanks for uh, having me here today. Um, so I'm going to talk about uh, what we've been doing over the last four years when we launched Seria Brewing Company. Seria rhymes with area. Um, and so uh, before I start, though, I'll give you a quick uh, uh, run through on my background. So I got my uh, undergraduate degree in molecular bio- biology from the University of Colorado in Boulder. And then I went to Belgium to get my PhD in brewing. So uh, I actually have a, a, a doctorate in brewing uh, from the Flemish University uh, right there in Brussels. And, um, and then at the bottom is the spine of my uh, uh, doctoral dissertation. So that, and that's me in my lab in Brussels, uh, working on uh, a bunch of the different things I, I worked on back there with beer. And, and, and for those of you that haven't been to Be- uh, Belgium, it's really considered the, uh, the kind of the mecca or, or the, uh, uh, just the place where people go to when they want to learn about beer and about uh, the different crazy styles that the Belgians have been working on for so long. Uh, and it really is, is uh, a fun time. Uh, on the left side, that's me drinking out of the tanks at Lindemann's Brewery in Brussels, right out, outside of Brussels. And on the right side is me standing by a big statue of St. Arnold, who in Belgium is considered the, the patron saint of brewers. And if you go to any, virtually any brew house in Belgium or any brewery, you'll see a big statue of St. Arnold, sometimes little statues, but he's, he's everywhere uh, throughout the Belgian beer culture. And so, also a little bit about my background at Coors Brewing Company. I was there for 30-something 30, uh, 30 years and uh, retired from there. Uh, I guess my biggest uh, claim to fame is I created Blue Moon Brewing Company, but I also led a team that uh, uh, reformulated the Coors beer. The original Coors, uh, as after it was going through a lot of declines in sales over the years, uh, I led a team to turn it around and turned it into what's called the Coors Banquet beer. Uh, I did a bunch of other things too, but my biggest uh, project that became real successful was was Blue Moon, which uh, turned into a billion-dollar brand. And and just to show you kind of the landscape of, of craft brewing back in the 1990s, a lot of people today, I mean, here here in Florida, you've got a lot of great craft breweries, but in the 1990s, 1995, when I launched Blue Moon, this is what the category looked like. The top seller was George Killian's Irish Red, and <clears throat> Sam Adams. So, but, but the one thing you see here is that all of these uh, beers that were the top 10 craft beers in 1995, they all looked like beer. They were uh, basically amber or deep golden in color, nothing cloudy. Uh, they just looked, dark, looked like dark versions of beer. And uh, that's, that's what it was uh, like when I launched Blue Moon in 1995. So to come out with a, a a Belgian beer was crazy because people back then really didn't hear of Belgian beers. And then to come up with a cloudy beer, that was even crazier. So we, we were a little bit ahead of our times. And there's another timeline here showing uh, uh, the launch of Blue Moon. So so I got my PhD from University of Brussels. I launched uh, Blue Moon Brewing Company in 1995. Uh, I created that orange garnish to really uh, make it stand out in a crowd and to highlight the orange peel that it's brewed with uh, in 1997. Then I created the iconic glass in 1998. And then from that point on, uh, it was a lot of work to, to get bars to carry it and everything. But by 2001, we hit critical mass and started growing like crazy. Uh, and Blue Moon did become the biggest uh, craft beer brand in the United States and, and in the world. And, and it, it is a, a billion dollar brand uh, in the world of beer, which 
not as big as Bud or Bud Light or Coors or anything like that, but it is uh, a really big uh, craft brand. So, so that um, I, when I when I finished up and retired, um, it's like what what next? Because I I had done everything I wanted in the beer world, and so the next uh, big question was what what can I do next? And uh, if you look at the world of beer, what you're seeing is younger people are drinking less and less alcohol because we, uh, all of us know, and, and young people know also, that alcohol is not uh, really healthy when it's taken in excess. In fact, it's it's a detriment to our health, and so uh, a lot of people are, are drinking less alcohol and less beer, less spirits, um, and so. The one thing people are doing is consuming cannabis because cannabis is a pretty uh, interesting uh, plant with medicinal qualities. Um, so if you look at the history of it, uh, there's not a lot of research that's been done, mainly because it's federally illegal. So uh, universities won't really study it because they're afraid of losing their federal, federal funding for all their, uh, uh, you know, the, their, their uh, scientific uh, laboratories. So, so there's not a ton of research. Uh, is the Israelis have done a lot of research over the years, since the 60s. They're the ones who actually came up with the molecular structure of THC and CBD. Uh, and there are a lot of labs that have done uh, independent work, but um, until it's made federally legal, we probably won't see uh, the true uh, positive potential of all the different aspects of cannabis. So, so uh, in, in 2018, uh, I started Seria Brewing Company in Colorado uh, with the goal of putting cannabis, uh, specifically cannabinoids, into beer. And, uh, and we launched uh, in December of 2018 in, in Colorado. And then last year, we expanded into California. And then a year and a half ago, uh, people loved the taste of our non-alcoholic beer, non-infused. So we started offering that. Uh, and we're currently in about 20 or 22 different states and, and growing with just the non-infused. But uh, it's also called Seria. And, and people ask about the name Seria. And if you uh, uh, look first, it comes from the uh, Roman goddess of agriculture. Her name is Ceres, and that's, that's her right there. Her profile adorns our labels. And also the name Seria uh, is an acronym in French. The campus where I got my PhD in brewing is called the Seria Campus, where they have the brewing school, the chocolate making school, the culinary school, the hotel restaurant management school. It's a, a food industries campus, and, and in French, it's an acronym that stands for the Center for Teaching and Research in the Food Industries. And uh, when we launched Seria back in 2018, actually we incorporated in 2017, in the in the U.S. there were already about 7,000 something breweries, craft breweries mainly, and um, and, and we tried to think of a really cool name for our brewery, but all the cool names were taken. So, so we uh, said, okay, what about Seria, where I, I got my PhD? And that, luckily, nobody had trademarked that. So that's that's what we uh, trademarked for our company. And now, for those of you in the, in the cannabis industry, uh, one thing you'll know right away is that you can't trademark anything with cannabis in it because it's federally illegal. So, um, so you really can't do that. The way you get around it, though, is you make products that have no cannabis, and uh, then you can trademark. So that's that's how we went about trade, getting a little trademark for our brand. So, um, and of course, uh, you may or may not know, hopefully you know, that uh, cannabis and hops are actually cousins. So if you look at the, the family of Cannabaceae, it's a, it's a family of flowering plants with uh, about, I don't know, uh, nine or ten different uh, um, 
subspecies here, uh, but the two that are most interesting for the industrial world are hops, which are called Humulus lupulus, and that's a hop flower right there that brewers use to make beer. And this is the way hops grow on vines. They can grow up to about 20 feet every season. Uh, so they die off and then you, um, uh, underground, you've got the, the rhizome, um, which kind of uh, uh, regenerates every year. So you don't have to plant it every, every year. Cannabis here, uh, Cannabis sativa L, uh, is a cousin of hops. And it's, it's, that's the bud right there. And you can see a grow room with, with plants growing. Uh, these are annuals. You have to plant them every year, uh, whether it's through clones or through seeds. But they are, are cousins in this uh, family called Cannabaceae. What you could do, actually, and people have done it, is you can actually chop off a branch of hops and graft it onto a cannabis plant, and it'll actually grow. Uh, the characteristics won't cross over, but you can grow hops on a cannabis plant, and vice versa. You can chop off a, a chunk or a branch of cannabis and graft it onto the hop plant, and the cannabis will grow and produce buds. So it really is uh, really interesting. And Oh, sorry, sorry, graft. So, so in the world of plants, in plant biology, um, what, what happens is, is uh, if you want to introduce new traits, for example, if you want to create a, a, a peach tree that is self-pollinating, a lot of times peach trees don't do that. So what you do is you take a, a different uh, type of, of peach branch and you, you make a, a, a you, you skin, you chop and make a kind of the skin off the bark of the, the tree, a branch, and you take a, another uh, peach branch and then you, you put it on so it makes physical contact. And, and some uh, growers use uh, special uh, chemicals to help with the, the healing and the, the joining together. Then you just wrap it up almost like a Band-Aid and, and it'll grow together and heal. And that's called grafting. And so in the world of hops and uh, cannabis, you can do that type of work and graft different traits uh, onto the plants. And it's, uh, it's, it's it, again, botanists are very good at doing this. And, and it's, um, uh, yeah, it's just another way to, to introduce or to study different effects in different plants. So, uh, so yeah, you, you see that uh, they are close, they're cousins. And so, again, why not go for cannabis and try to put this into beer or beverages? Now, first of all, the thing we uh, learned on our journey was that when you go and try to put cannabis into beer, uh, it's illegal to combine alcohol with cannabis at the state level and the federal level. So here um, you see up here that the TTB, which is the Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax and Trade Bureau, they regulate anything with alcohol in the United States. Uh, the vintners who make wine, the distillers who make spirits, the brewers who make beer have to report to the TTB. And the TTB w made it absolutely clear that beer and actually any alcoholic beverage cannot contain anything from cannabis other than hemp seeds or hemp seed oil because those things don't have cannabinoids in them. And so that's the only thing that you can put into beverages or uh, beer or alcohol. Um, but and in fact, a lot of people are uh, misunderstanding of the federal law with uh, hemp. A lot of people think it's legal to put CBD in everything, but that's actually illegal in the United States. Some states have legalized it, but it is still illegal to put CBD into beverages and foods for humans and for pets. So, um, but people get through that uh, because the, t the 
TTB has made it known that they don't have the staffing to enforce all the rules unless you make health claims. So if you make a product with CBD and you make health claims, then you will get a cease and desist letter from the federal government. But if you avoid that, you can fly under the radar, and that's pretty much how people have been operating. Um, and then, of course, with states where it is legal, like Colorado, where I'm from, uh, you do have uh, regulatory agencies. In Colorado, we have what's called the MED, the Marijuana Enforcement Division. They're the ones who are responsible for regulating cannabis in the state, and they have very strict rules. They say you cannot sell anything or put anything that contains alcohol uh, with cannabis. So you have to make a non-alcoholic beer. So the, the TTB actually has some guidelines for non-alcoholic beer or beer with different levels of alcohol. So everything above 2.5 is just regular beer. But it, when it's below 2.5% alcohol by volume and above 0.5%, you can call it low alcohol or reduced alcohol beer. If it's less than 0.5% but still has down to 0.01%, it's called NA, her non-alcoholic beer, or you could call it near beer. Um, zero alcohol is just a marketing term. It uh, really has no meaning to the federal government up here. And then the last classification is called AF, alcohol-free beer, which has no measurable alcohol, so 0.00% alcohol. So this one is, is the toughest to make and still taste good and have body and actually look like a beer. And then NA beer is a little bit easier to make. And then, of course, reduced alcohol that actually has alcohol. That's easy to make. But uh, again, it does have alcohol, and it's illegal to, to put cannabis in this one here. But you can do it for sure in this one. And there's some states that say maybe in this one. So, uh, so it is, uh, it's a tough industry to get into. But uh, at Seria, we've, we make only alcohol-free beers. The labels, if, you're, if you have samples that you're tasting, the label says less than 0.5. But if you were to analyze it, our beer is actually 0.00. There's no detectable alcohol in our beers. And we're going through a label change or a label refresh this year. So in about two months, we'll have new labels that say alcohol-free. So, um, so the, and then uh, making non-alcoholic -alcohol beer is uh, interesting. I, I just threw this slide up so you know uh, how to make it. There's, there's two methods, biological and mechanical. In the biological way, this, this is the fastest and easiest way to do it, where you either do a regular fermentation and you, and you stop it prematurely to, uh, to limit the amount of alcohol formed so it stays below that 0.5%, or you use different types of new yeasts that don't make alcohol, or you take a, a regular beer and you dilute it with water. So, the, so it's pretty easy, I guess, and straightforward and cheap to do this. Um, or you can do it this way with mechanical methods, which is very expensive, uh, reverse osmosis or vacuum distillation. Reverse osmosis is using very high pressure systems to uh, remove the alcohol. Um, and this makes decent beer, but it's very difficult to get down to 0.00% alcohol. Vacuum distillation, you can get down to 0.00, but this is a vacuum distillation unit, and these, these things cost about a million dollars a piece. So they're not cheap, but it does make good beer. And the main thing is when you're making non-alcoholic beer, you have to pasteurize because otherwise, if you don't pasteurize, yeast or organisms can grow in that non-alcoholic base and start either re-fermenting and turn it alcoholic, or the, the, in the worst case, you can get an infection with uh, 
pathological uh, microorganisms. These are the type of things like listeria, botulism, uh, E. coli, the things that can either make people sick or kill people. So that's why you have to pasteurize. If you, uh, It's a tough industry to get into, but uh, at Seria, we've, we make only alcohol-free beers. The labels, if, you're, if you have samples that you're tasting, the label says less than 0.5. But if you were to analyze it, our beer is actually 0.00. There's no detectable alcohol in our beers. And we're going through a label change or a label refresh this year. So in about two months, we'll have new labels that say alcohol-free. So, um, so the, and then uh, making non-alcoholic -alcohol beer is uh, interesting. I, I just threw this slide up so you know uh, how to make it. There's, there's two methods, biological and mechanical. And in the biological way, this, this is the fastest and easiest way to do it, where you either do a regular fermentation and you, and you stop it prematurely to, uh, to limit the amount of alcohol formed so it stays below that 0.5%, or you use different types of new yeasts that don't make alcohol, or you take a, a regular beer and you dilute it with water. So, the, so it's pretty easy, I guess, and straightforward and cheap to do this. Um, or you can do it this way with mechanical methods, which is very expensive, uh, reverse osmosis or vacuum distillation. Reverse osmosis is using very high pressure systems to uh, remove the alcohol. Um, and this makes decent beer, but it's very difficult to get down to zero, zero, zero percent alcohol. Vacuum distillation, you can get down to zero, 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 but this is a vacuum distillation unit and these, these things cost about a million dollars a piece. So they're not cheap, but it does make good beer. And the main thing is when you're making non-alcoholic beer, you have to pasteurize because otherwise, if you don't pasteurize, yeast or organisms can grow in that non-alcoholic base and start either re-fermenting and turn it alcoholic, or the, the, in the worst case, you can get an infection with uh, uh, pathological uh, microorganisms. These are the type of things like listeria, botulism, uh, e. coli, the things that can either make people sick or kill people. So that's why you have to pasteurize if you get into the cannabis beverage business, unless you can uh, use artificial uh, stabilizers, uh, which are out there, but those also have inherent problems. Uh, there's a very popular one that some people use called, called Velcarin, and that uh, a side reaction is it does make methanol, which is uh, it's not a healthy alcohol. It's one that actually ends up killing people in high quantities. And actually, it's uh, not even permitted. If you, if, you, if you stabilize your beverages, if you make a CBD beverage here in Florida and uh, want to sell it in a natural food store like Whole Foods, they absolutely will not take your product if it has Velcarin. So, uh, so that's it for NAs. And then, um, but then cannabinoids, if you, if you look at cannabinoids, I think on the panel here a few folks noted how uh, they are very uh, nonpolar and very hydrophobic phobic, uh, and, and lipophilic, meaning that they're fatty, they're uh, oily, uh, so they're hard to get into a beverage, into a water beverage, like whether it's water, tea, coffee, kombucha, beer, it's almost impossible to get cannabinoids to go in because they're oil. It's going to be like if you're making a salad dressing and you put oil and vinegar together and shake it, they separate. You've got the oil floating on the top and the heavier water on the bottom. Same thing with cannabinoids. They're very, very hydrophobic. And terpenes too. Uh, terpenes are very hydrophobic. They don't want to go into water, so it's hard to get those in. And then, of course, you've got these other things that are in uh, cannabis extracts, chlorophyll, waxes, and lipids. So, so. Uh, 
early on, people started experimenting with how you get these in. You can get them in with alcohol, uh, that'll help, but um, it turns out that it's, there's just a pretty easy four-step extraction to create nanoparticles with uh, uh, cannabis. And you can also use this strategy for, um, for uh, mushroom extracts, for anything that's hydrophobic, to put it into water or into beer or, or uh, seltzer whatever you want, and this, this works, the strategy, it's basic, it works for everything. Step one is just you extract uh, your, your cannabis or mushrooms, and, and there's different ways to do it, butane, CO2, ethanol, supercritical CO2, and, um, but you, or you can just buy extract on the open market if you're a producer. Uh, then step two is you activate, because a lot of people don't realize with cannabis, the cannabinoids exist in the plant in a raw form. They have an acid molecule, carboxylic acid, that's attached to it. And that acid molecule prevents it from going into the body and being active. So uh, you can take raw buds from cannabis and eat as many as you want, and you will not get high uh, because the, the, the compounds have not been activated. Uh, however, those unactivated compounds have been proven just in the last few months. Uh, University of Chicago and University of Oregon have shown that the raw uh, cannabinoids uh, prevent the COVID virus from going into human cells. So, so there's a lot of promise for the unactivated. However, if you want active CBG, CBN, THC, you have to activate it. And the uh, easiest way to do it is by heating it. Typically 110 degrees C or 230 degrees Fahrenheit for 30 minutes. And that molecule, the acid molecule falls right off. So think of a lock and key. The cannabinoid would be um, like THC or CBD. Actually, not CBD, because that's not a, a, a cannabinoid that actually works directly on our bodies. But THC, if you get high, THC is like a key, but that acid molecule is like a, a block on the end of the key. It doesn't go into the lock, which are in our, our brain and our body. When you heat it up, that key goes right in and turns and makes us high, or it does uh, pain relief or anti-inflammatory action. Um, CBD does not do that. CBD works on a different pathway, which is why some people can take CBD and have no reaction. Others take it and they say, oh, it works fine. Um, CBD is a whole, you have to combine it with other cannabinoids to have full effect. So, so yeah, you decarboxylate and, and activate these cannabinoids. Step three, you encapsulate these things. You use any vegetable oil to encapsulate. And uh, here, all you're doing is just stabilizing it and making it uh, real homogenous and bioavailable. Um, and it's easy. You just do that, hold it at uh, a warm temperature until it's all homogenous, meaning mixed together. Then the last step, you add an emulsifier. These, these things uh, are, are they're, they're very common, but what they do is they take oily things and turn them into uh, water-soluble things. So lecithin, xanthan gum, polysorbate. Look on the back of a, a bottle of salad dressing and you'll see these things listed because they're emulsifiers. They keep the oil and water together. But we can use these to make uh, cannabis water-soluble. And, um, and you just do this, this procedure right here. And at the end, these four steps, you've got cannabis or mushroom particles that can actually be water-soluble and put into water, beer, anything. So, so it's, it's not so difficult. Um, and uh, fairly easy to do. Um, and one thing that uh, a lot of people don't realize, which was noted on the panel today, is that there are a lot of cannabinoids in the plant. There are more than 100 cannabinoids in the cannabis plant. Many of them have not been studied as to what they do, but there's a lot of, uh, I guess, practical work that's been done uh, to, to kind of find out what some of these things 
can can I guess be related to. So, uh, but here's here's some things here that are real interesting. I mean, THC. All of us know THC is psychoactive. It uh, uh, makes you high, but it's also a, a pain reliever. It relieves nausea, and also it's an anti-inflammatory agent. These effects are um, actually scientific. I, uh, I wrote a book uh, recently, it was published last year, on how to brew with cannabis. And so I researched the heck out of a lot of these things. And there is a lot of scientific data available on, on these effects in animal studies uh, and in humans. CBD, uh, a lot of us know about that. It's a pain reliever, it's antibiotic, anti-cancer, a lot of different good things with CBD. But these ones down here are a few of the cannabinoids that a lot of people don't know a lot about uh, in, the, in, the, in the general public, but may, many of them are anti-inflammatories. Uh, so you see that everywhere. Um, an interesting one is this one, THCV. Out west, this one is, is becoming really popular because it's an anorectic, which um, I guess in, in everyday terms means that it, it, you take it and your appetite goes down so it's the opposite of getting the munchies. So if you want to lose weight, THCV is called the skinny cannabinoid. It does not make you high, but it definitely decreases your appetite. So, so if, you, if you want to lose weight, that's a perfect one. Um, so you see, these are just a few of the cannabinoids that are in the plant. There's over 100, and there's some that people uh, have studied a little bit, and they say they act like caffeine. There's another one that gives you uh, courage, like like if you're afraid to, to go in for a job interview or to do something. There's one that, that you can take to give you courage. There's one that acts like Viagra. There's there's just all these different uh, cannabinoids in the plant that have so much potential. And of course, terpenes. We heard a little bit little bit about terpenes uh, with the panel before me. And uh, terpenes are those things that have the aroma. Uh, so cannabis, you smell the terpenes, um, but also uh, terpenes are made by almost every plant and fruit out there. So uh, uh, roses, when you smell a rose, you're smelling the terpenes. Peach, when you smell that peach, you're smelling terpenes. Uh, those are the chemicals that give the aroma of, of a plant. And um, in, in this column, these, this one is mainly hops pre prevalent terpene. It's called humulene. Uh, a typical cannabis prevalent terpene is called limonene. And um, some terpenes that are present in both hops and cannabis, since they're cousins, are uh, myrcene, caryophylline, and farnesine. And then here are the perceived physiological effects. Uh, it, I say perceived, but there is uh, data out there showing that these effects are active in animal models, animal studies. But some, some effects have not been measured in humans, although some have, like uh, limonene has definitely been studied. So uh, humulene, uh, it's an anti-inflammatory, and again, it's an appetite suppressant. Uh, limonene is a great sedative. Uh, uh, I mean, these things are really, really nice. Uh, farnesine, it's calming and a sedative. It really calms you down. So terpenes really have an effect. So when you're smelling a beer, like a hoppy IPA or, uh, or cannabis, just the smell alone will uh, affect your body and, and result in, um, in really different changes. Uh, so that's why uh, aromatherapy is something that really is active and, and it works. Uh, it's not it's some fly-by-night science but you've got to use the right terpenes. And, and when you do beverages, as I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of uh, issues or challenges you have to come up against. Uh, a big one is, is production and distribution. Like I said, you can't have alcohol. You've got to figure out how to infuse the cannabis. But the big thing is it's bitter. Uh, CBD is a bitter compound. All cannabinoids have an inherent 
bitterness to them. So you have to figure out how to mask it if you want to put it into something that uh, you want no taste or something that's supposed to be sweet, like a uh, maybe it's a, a soda pop or maybe it's a uh, seltzer. You've got to figure out how to mask it. And there are many technologies on how to mask the bitterness of cannabinoids. But everything from distribution, advertising, sales, uh, and then regulatory issues you, you run up against. And then uh, consumer education is huge. Uh, there's so many consumers that don't know how many milligrams of, of THC or even CBD they need to affect their body. Uh, but they do know, almost inherently, that they, if they drink like a, a Coors Light or a Bud Light, they're not going to get drunk and fall down. But if they drink a lot of shots of tequila, then they'll, they'll get drunk and fall down. So they know with alcohol what can happen. With cannabis, a lot of them do not have a clue as to how many milligrams they can take and still function. A lot of people think you, they can take five milligrams of THC and it's going to be, they're going to be stoned. Uh, so, so that's one thing we're trying to do is with our beers, we have a, a Belgian white like Blue Moon that has five milligrams. And with five milligrams, that simulates the alcohol of a real Blue Moon. So a real Blue Moon is about five and a half percent ABV. And when you drink a Blue Moon, most people might get a little buzz, but for the most part, they're going to be relaxed. They're going to drink a Blue Moon and say, oh, I feel relaxed. Similar with, with five milligrams, you'll feel, most people will feel relaxed. There will be a few that get a tipsy, but five milligrams will feel, you'll feel relaxed. Our IPA has 10 milligrams of THC uh, to simulate uh, the feeling you get from drinking a big glass of IPA. Most people will get a little bit of a buzz uh, with IPA. Um, and so with our, our IPA, you will get a, a little bit of a buzz with 10 milligrams, and, but we put also 10 milligrams of CBD into it. Because what happens with THC is if you take it by itself, a lot of people will get a little bit nervous, uh, anxious, but if you put that CBD in, it uh, mellows out that buzz. So you can get buzzed but not get real super anxious or nervous. And, um, and it works nicely to simulate the effects. And we're trying to educate people about how many milligrams they can take. Uh, and then they'll learn so that they can go off and start to um, experiment and, and have fun. Similar to Blue Moon, when I started that back in 1995, a lot of people didn't know what craft beer was. But uh, after they started experimenting with craft beers, they said, ah, oh, this is nice, a lot of flavor, it goes with different foods. Uh, and, and they started experimenting with bigger, stronger beers. Okay, so um, one of my last slides is just the entourage effect. Uh, the one thing people have found out over the last few years is if you take just THC or CBD, uh, by itself, it'll do something. THC makes you, makes you high, CBD uh, can relax you, but what people discovered was the entourage effect, meaning if you combine things, the effect is even stronger. So if you take CBD by itself, uh, it's okay, but if you combine it with CBG and caryophylline, you get intense pain relief and anti-inflammatory action. You take uh, THC, a V, you don't get high, both of these things combined will make you lose weight like crazy. You'll feel like you had a whole meal and you're not hungry. So lots of uh, future promise with uh, cannabinoids. And, and this slide just shows all the promise of cannabinoids. Uh, give you energy, make you smarter, uh, increase your libido. Just so many different things that will come about in the future with beverages when you, do, uh, when you combine cannabinoids with different beverages. So with that, uh, I, I thank you for your attention and um, 
Yeah, it's uh, on behalf of Seria Brewing Company. Uh, hopefully we can see federal legalization and uh, all of us can enjoy cannabis the way we want since we're all adults. <laughs> we don't have to uh, have the government telling us what we cannot do. So, so anyway, with that, thank you very much. And I don't know if I have, I have time for questions. Probably not. Do I? Yes. Okay. Any questions at all? Because I, I actually have a PhD in brewing. I'm a beer doctor. I can, I can answer almost anything beer-wise. We've been working with cannabis uh, intensively for uh, four years, so we, it's making it water-soluble and everything. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, you said um, cannabis is related to hops, and normally, like in the in the brewing process, uh, you normally boil the hops. So have have you tried anything with boiling um, cannabis as you would like hops in order to uh, infuse into beer? Yes. So the, so the question was, with hops, a brewer typically puts them in the brew kettle and they're boiled for, for about an hour. Uh, with cannabis, have I tried that? Yes. The issue is that hops are almost dirt cheap. <laughs> hops are very cheap. You boil them and the... the with, with the boiling process, about 70% of the hops, the, all the, the uh, hydrophobic things, will stick to the sides of the kettle or stay in a state where you, you don't recover. You lose 70%. With cannabis, you'll also lose about 70%. Cannabis, uh, if you make just a, a five-gallon homebrew batch and you want one ounce of nice buds... That's what I'm thinking of doing. An ounce of nice buds. I don't know what it costs here in Colorado. If you have a nice ounce of buds uh, with, with a, say, uh, 28% uh, THC, you're talking about $200, maybe $300, depending on the strain. So that's $300, and then you lose 70% of that if you put it in the kettle. So that's yeah, a lot of money. Some, yeah, you lose too much. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so that's why, that's why I talked about the, um, how to make it water-soluble. It's actually not truly water-soluble, it's called water-compatible. If you go, go through the, you buy your ounce of buds, make it water-compatible using those four steps, and, and you'll have 90% or more of the cannabinoids put into your beer at the end. Don't boil it, put it in at the end, and you're, you're, you'll be gold. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. No, uh, they both are going to have bitterness added to the beverage, whether it's beer, water, coffee, anything. That's why a lot of cannabinoids are just inherently better in bitter beverages, like beer, tea, coffee. It, they go perfectly in there because that bitterness just uh, really, really matches up with the profile of the beverage. If you put it into seltzer or um, other things that are not inherently bitter, then you've got a mask, whether it's with sugar or bitter masking agents, and, and there's a lot of different bitter masking agents out there, but uh, it's just easier with bitter beverages. Anything else? Oh, sorry. Alcohol percentage is illegal. Yeah, so, no, no, it's illegal on a federal basis and a state basis to combine alcohol and cannabis. So our beers are completely alcohol-free, 0.00%. But as a home brewer, you definitely can do anything you want because there's home brewers who mix alcohol and cannabis, and the effect is called cross-fading, where you're high and buzzed at the same time, which some people enjoy, but I don't recommend it because there's a certain point where you'll get, you'll feel terrible, <laughs> and you'll uh, some people become couch locked and lay down in the fetal position for up to three hours. So I don't recommend it. <laughs> Uh, question back there? Yes. Question. Uh, at what point in the process of roaring or uh, we sell CBD to a kombucha company? They 
question was, when is the right time to add the CBD in the powder form with the water solvent? So when is the right time to add CBD or cannabinoids uh, in the process? Typically, you want to do it at the end because uh, as, as a water-soluble component, whether it's, it's powder or liquid, you do it at the end because if you do it any, anywhere upstream, uh, you'll lose product because cannabinoids are hydrophobic. They, they don't want to naturally go in and as it's mixing, there's going to be a little bit that want, that's going to want to stick to the tanks. But if, if you put it in at the end, you minimize all that and it goes in and like I said, you'll have maybe 90% put in to the liquid. But again, if you put it, the further upstream you put it, uh, it's, you're going to start losing. So, uh, and it's expensive, uh, CBG, CBD, THC, you name it, it's expensive to, to buy those cannabinoids. So you want to make sure you're doing it as efficiently as possible. But right before bottling in the packaging tank is a perfect place if you can agitate it and mix it to make it real homogenous. Or as, as that tank is filling up, um, that's a good time too. But uh, uh, packaging tank, bright beer tank, uh, any of those are perfect as long as you have a way to agitate and make it homogenous. Oh, question back there? Um, a couple. It's maybe a year and a half ago, I was reading an article about someone make, trying to make headway and use, utilizing genetically modified yeast to produce cannabinoids when they took in sugar mm -hmm. instead of alcohol. I missed the first part of the presentation, so I didn't know if you'd actually mentioned anything about that part. No, um, yeah, they're, they're still working on the yeast because the, the genes have been cloned uh, so, or isolated. So uh, the genes for making like THC are out there from the plant and scientists have tried putting them into yeasts and they've successfully demonstrated that yeast can do that. So in the future that could be one way to make uh, cannabinoids is to have, have them just pharmaceutically produced just the way pharmaceuticals are made. Scalable. Uh, it's, it's scalable but at the same time um, I guess I'm just a natural proponent. I like the plant, and uh, and it's nice to support farmers who are really doing that. And, and um, yeah, so 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 from my perspective, yes, that's definitely in the future. Uh, and in fact, you could clone the genes into uh, corn and have corn that has uh, cannabinoids or whatever plant you want. But uh, I, I I inherently like things as natural as possible uh, because again, um, we sell our products in uh, Whole Foods and. And, and natural stores, and they they look for anything that's been genetically modified, and for them, that's a, that's a big red X. It's like you're not allowed in here. And uh, there's lots of natural people out there too who don't want to put anything genetically modified in their bodies. And um, so, out of, out of respect for them and, and nature, I, I just inherently love things as natural as possible. Okay, I, I guess if there's no more questions, I, again, on behalf of Seria Brewing Company, thank you very much for your attention, and uh, uh, it's, it's awesome being here in Fort Lauderdale, and um, yeah, this is uh, a great state. Look forward to when it's federal, or when it's legal here in the state, so cheers. Thank you very much, Keith, for uh, doing this today. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls-Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. 
please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.